Praise God. You may be seated. Wow, what a worship. Incredible worship. Praise God. Amen? Amen. Now again, I'm going to start again this morning by, if you were in the conference, honestly, I don't like offending people. But I have to say what God tells me to say. And so, I mean, if, if, you, if you got offended with what I'm saying, just realize you're not the only one who got offended. <laughs> and so, uh, the, the point is, you know, check this stuff with God. Stop checking stuff with your emotions. You know, I mean, I'm talking to people of Caucasian descent who think I was picking on them. Talking to, if you are, I don't see many African Americans here. If you are African, African American, Asian, yellow, green. We just need to get real and deal with stuff the way they are. Amen? And we need to stop carrying so much stuff. You know, we need to hear things the way God wants us to hear them. We need to just hear stuff as they are said. Amen? One of the things I learned, and one of the, one of the great things that I, that I think God has helped me in my life is, God, I've been preaching since I was nine years old. Okay? And God brought me into the academic world where when you say something, you have to defend it. <laughs> you just don't say something because you feel it needs to be said and then people can challenge it. You know, one of my blessings was being in school for 12 years straight <laughs> and having everything I ever believed in challenged. Uh, so, and one of the things I do in my life, which I tell my students to do, is I always read a book I cannot understand. People think, you know, that's what I do. I do that at least three times a year. Because it forces my mind to think differently. And I read people who completely disagree with me. A problem with a lot of Christians is they can't read anybody who doesn't say what they already know. You have a problem when that is the way you think. And it makes it difficult for God to use you. And people don't like, you know, I'm not trying to be mean and i'm not trying to make enemies i mean i really like people to like me i want to be among the people that get invited everywhere but i can't deny what god has said to me i can't reject what god says to me just to be able to fit in with people um just just you know i was a professor in a school that taught almost all the major African-American preachers in the country who are still preaching today. And I used to get in trouble with them all the time because I will challenge perspectives. It's my job as a professor to challenge. You know, did you, do you know that my adopted mom, my adoptive mom is white? See, most people, most people don't know that. So when I talk, they think I'm talking because I dislike people. <laughs> you know, I don't care if you're white, green, blue, yellow, black. My issue is, 
What does your perspective have to do with the kingdom of God? If it's just because you want to feel good, you don't want to be hurt, you don't want people to say stuff to you, then it's really not God. It's just you. And we all can sit around and tell sad stories, can't we? Is there anybody here who doesn't have a sad story? Some people are bigger than others, but we all have one. But the reason for the gospel is that we have what is called an Archimedean point outside of our personal experience that we can use to tune our personal experiences. Let me say it again. There's a place you can stand outside of yourself to tune your personal experiences. <laughs> Let me try it again. You know, my guy, uh, students, if you're still in school, you know who Archimedes was. Archimedes was a philosopher and a scientist in the Greek culture. He said, if you can give me a place to stand outside of the earth, I can use a pole to move the earth. The key issue in life is to be able to stand outside of yourself. And the reason Jesus came is to give us a place to stand in order to look at ourselves from an objective perspective. So a Christian should then be the only one who should be one, which actually the the person who has the most accessibility to (laughs) self-criticism. Are you getting the point? You cannot follow culture fully without standing outside of it to critique it. And one of the reasons where God tells you to treat the stranger carefully is because the stranger is always a mirror and a better of what you really are. So how you treat a stranger is really a measure of who you are and how you, what you actually believe. So why would we want to sacrifice the scriptures in order to maintain our perspective? That's the real question. Is, is, it, is our Christian faith so easily discarded based on our emotions? I'm not here to be mean. Because unless we are able to stand and move from God's perspective and look without our so-called personal agendas and our political agendas and our racial agendas and our identity agendas and our gender agendas, unless we're able to step out of that and look from God's perspective, the same God who said there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither Greek nor Jew, right? There is neither female nor male. He the, 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 says, says that Christ nailed what? Christ nailed all the division into his body and made the, those who were divided one. That's scripture. Now people, this is the problem with people who say they believe something. They only believe it as long as it doesn't touch them emotionally. 
The very, it's a very, being a, this is where being, this is where being a Christian is difficult. <laughs> really. Because being a Christian goes against everything that you hold dear naturally. I'll tell you that right now. Because Jesus went so far to say, except, said, except a man leaves father, mother, all the natural tendencies, Jesus said, you must leave behind in order to follow him. Isn't it? So how come we don't teach that? How come our gospel is now culture-bound, gender-bound, class-bound, color-bound? If the Bible is not true, we should forget this stuff and go get drunk. Are you listening to me? I want to get wasted, man. Just go somewhere and get wasted. That's what Paul said. Paul said, if in this world alone we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. Then let us take up the saying, you know, let us drink and be merry in tomorrow. For tomorrow we die. So it's like eat, get drunk, do something else and die. Is that, is that really what this is about? No! We are the ones that God has called to tune this stuff. It's going to be harder on us because we are the ones that God has chosen. <laughs> you get the point? It's going to offend us deeply, but because we know that we are the key, we don't let the offense get to us. We say, how do I position myself to become the key that tunes and manifests and opens the door that must manifest God into the world? Amen? Amen. Oh man, I deliberately did what I did this week to offend people. So I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not saying I didn't do it on purpose. I did it on purpose. Because God was very clear, this is what I want you to do. And he says, you choose to do it or not do it. And I chose to do it. I could have touched something else and avoided it and God will still love me tomorrow. Probably be upset with me for a few days. <laughs> but he still love me. But I can't live with myself if I join everybody else to do what they do. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I don't want to add to my imperfection by not doing what God tells me to do. I don't want to add sin to sin. Amen? And you should be the same way too. <laughs> and do it from a place of what? A place of an open heart. A place of, of, of clarity. Because you don't like people. Or because you were hurt by somebody yesterday. Now you're going to bring it to theology. And try to turn it into a theology. That's not how it works. Check yourself. <laughs> so today what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about something that a lot of us in the don't talk anymore about is from the beatitude so i want to preach from the beatitude now let me promise you you're going to talk to me believe me (laughs) you are going to get excited just relax so let's start slowly the beatitudes right you know you've heard messages on it but Let's just deal with a few. To me, 
The Beatitudes, the nine or depending on how you count it, the ten Beatitudes. You know it's nine Beatitudes, right? Eight, some of you say. But it's actually ten because one of it can be divided, a couple of them can be divided into two. The final one can actually be divided into two. She says, Jesus didn't repeat blessed, but there are two things there. Alright? You can go study it. So, I do the ten because I realize that nothing in the Jewish culture has started without a number ten. God spoke ten times before he created the world. God tried Abraham ten times. You still with me? God spoke ten times in order to release the patrimony of the firstborn back to Israel in Egypt. Ten plagues, ten speech. God spoke ten times on Mount Sinai to form Israel as a nation. It's just when God wanted to, mess, to, to, to cut out the presence of the glory in Israel, he removed ten tribes. So... There's all kinds of places in scripture where this stuff is present. So, but the number 10 is very important for Jewish guys. So if Jesus is starting a ministry and he gives that beatitude, I'm sure it is 10 because I've looked at it again. And they are divided into 10 sets when you actually look at things that are joined together in the text. And Jesus then starts this way. Jesus says, the Bible says he went up to the hill. You know the whole story, right? And he said... The first one was, blessed are the poor in spirit. But I want to tell you that everything Jesus says in the Beatitude are keys for experiencing realms beyond this realm and for opening up your being to the fullness of God from the realm of God so that you can do the fullness of what God has called you to do. And you can be who God has called you to be. So they then serve, I have a book coming out on this by the way. Probably next year. It's about 11 chapters. So, you're going to be one of the first people to hear this. You know, so, he starts, the first one is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? So, let's talk about the poor in spirit. I'm going to do a little bit of reading, but listen very carefully before I preach. Is that okay? Because I want you to see how it flows out of my mind. First of all, the last time I was here, I, I preached on the word blessed. Right? So, there are two blessed, as I told you. There's one that is eulogia, and there's one that's Macarios, right? Macarios, you know, I'm a good uh, Dr. Seuss fan, fan. So, this is thing one and thing two. <laughs> All right, so it's, 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 it's blessed one and blessed two. But so, today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about blessed two, which is found in this. So, it's translated blessed in the English Bible, but the word should not really be translated blessed. It should be translated happy. So the, the translator that says happy are the poor is actually better than the word blessed. Because in this passage of scripture, what you're discovering now is that what Jesus is saying is that your happiness depends on you. Okay, I'll try it again. Jesus says that your happiness doesn't depend on what happens to you, doesn't depend on where you come from, doesn't depend on what you're experiencing, that your happiness depends on you. 
Because if it wasn't dependent on you, then he wouldn't make a character issue the basis of happiness. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who are meek. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's all things that you are able to do. Right? So, you should be happy because you're poor in spirit. And I'm talking about poverty now, in the sense in which we consider it. So, give me a second. So, the word that is usually is the word makarias, I said, which can also mean happy. Usually, it means happy in the sense of receiving favor from another person because, of, because one has carried oneself in a particular way. It's the result of how you carry yourself. But here, here's the catch. If you focus on the privilege... To be received, you, fo- you forgo the happiness that is coming. That's right, that's right. If you focus on the privilege, you miss the happiness. Because focusing on the privilege or focusing on the result really means you don't enjoy the journey and in fact you operate in anxiety till you get it and when you get what you think you're looking for instead of making you happy because you haven't practiced how to be happy it actually makes you sad are we still are we okay so stay with me because you know it's important so happiness is a way of seeing and judging or evaluating our circumstances. So how come somebody has the same circumstance you have, and they are happy, but you are depressed? It has to do with how you see it. <laughs> so, so happiness is the result of a perspective that is informed by something other than the circumstance. Do I have a church? Okay, I know, I know I'm lecturing a little bit. But just, just talk to me a little bit, because I'll be okay. Whatever content one feels their situation can either be bad for them, or even if the content of it is good. Haven't you seen people who receive good things and yet they are unhappy? <laughs> Jesus says it this way. It says, if your eye is full of darkness, everything is darkness. If the eye be evil, then everything is evil. So he puts the onus not on the things that happen to you, but on your perspective of what is happening to you. Why then will he end the whole beatitude by saying, Blessed are you when men persecute you and say all kinds of manner of evil against you. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Excuse me, who do you tell that kind of stuff? You can only say that to somebody who has a different perspective on suffering. 
Am I okay? Okay, I'm still in the house. I've not gone anywhere yet. And this content that is in the person that is poured upon the situation becomes the content of their inner being, causing uneasiness and thereby creating unhappiness. Judging a circumstance and looking goodness or badness in terms of how it affects us determines happiness itself. That means the way we look determines its goodness. Looking at something that is good from God's perspective can change it can make it even more good. But looking at it from the perspective of your honorary self can make it, even God is trying to help you, become a terrible thing. Haven't you seen people who are married to beautiful women and they have sex with a woman that doesn't even look half? Where is it coming from? Not really. Where is it coming from? It's coming from the fact that they have a bad perspective of who they are living with. Okay. I say that just to shock some of you, okay? So just just wake up. Alright? Like I said, ultimately, at least based on what I have learned from the Beatitude, it is not the experience of a thing or circumstance that should determine one's happiness. Thus, it is not feeling. It is not whether it feels good or whether it feels bad, that determines happiness. It is not the excitement, the passion, the ecstasy that grows from an act or a situation from the moment of its full moon. That's not what, that is not what inspires happiness. I must point out that I am not equating happiness with joy. I'm not equating happiness with... All the time. But I'm equating happiness with exuding a presence of hope. Uh, Are you you okay? So, while happiness is the attitude we take inwardly to the situation, joy can be described as an external expression of the inner attitude which we call happiness or an outer expression of inner contentment and satisfaction. Now, I know that this goes against much of what has been taught in the church and in the world. In the Christian faith, joy is expressed in worship and at the hearing of the good news, but the joy comes from an inner landscape where God himself lives. No matter what experience the Christian has, the Christian knows that the world must be seen from the prism of the Christ that lives inside. So their perspective is different. Their eyes are different. Their ears are different. They may have the same ear as everybody else, but it hears a different sound. They may have the same eye as everybody else, but it sees a different word, a different factor of light. Can I get a witness in the house? So when Jesus then begins to speak, he then says, based on that stuff, because he understands, says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So let's talk about that. The foundation of Christianity is what we call the kenotic principle, the idea of kenosis, the idea of self-emptying. Okay? It is hard for Westerners because Westerners have spent almost 1500 years convincing themselves that their self is so important that they talk about not losing their self. Come on. 
you know, in the 60s and the 70s, we had this stuff where husbands left their wives to go seek for themselves. Oh, come on, come on. Uh, if you're older than 40, you know what I'm talking about. Women, God left and said, I've lost myself in this marriage. I need to go seek for myself. In fact, that was the thing that began this whole slot of divorce because people thought they lost themselves. Yeah, they, it just went quiet. But this is what we do. We, we, we convince ourselves that life must be determined by what we call ourself. Okay? So, but the kenotic principle, as manifested when God became man, is really what is the foundation of Christianity. Now, let me say this. If you read the text of Scripture in the book of, of, of Philippians, it says, though he was in the form of God. It doesn't say he was not in the form of God. So, whatever I'm going to say today does not deny your divinity. You know my teachings, that I believe that God has fundamentally valued humanity and that we participate in divinity. Right? But I want to show you the other side of it. So you understand how it's supposed to function, not just that you are God and God has filled you with himself and now you are this big... Okay. (laughs) Sitting somewhere and ignoring everybody and acting like the world revolves around you. It's true it does, but you shouldn't act like it. (laughs) So, the the idea of kenosis is the self-giving of God. The outreaching love of the divine in which God pours himself into creation while remaining full in himself. This is the emptying which we find in the book of, of Philippians. Yet before we read Paul in the, Philipp- in the book of Philippians, the charismatic hymn as it is called, of Jesus, Jesus himself lays out the part of Christian spiritual practice as being the cultivation of a self-emptying lifestyle. The essence of Christian life, worship and practice, is to embody this capacity to humbly release all that is in one. But here's the power of this stuff, is that when you release all that is in you, it is actually making space for more of God, because that God can never become empty. If you look in creation, God is constantly pouring God's self into creation, yet God remains full. So what God is asking of you is the same thing that God does. Let me come back because, you know, mm, that is an outpouring of the self to God and to others. Seeing oneself from the perspective of self-emptying is to understand that one's whole being is dependent on something or someone beyond one's physical and even spiritual powers. For one to channel divinity and receive the blessedness of which our Lord Jesus Christ speaks, there must be such humility, which seems oneself to be uh, compared to the awesome nature of God as being, watch the word, nothing. I didn't say you were nothing. But I said your perspective in comparison to where God wants you to be. Are you getting it? But that also means that you consider yourself 
as being no thing. It's not just the fact that you are when you said nothing, people misunderstand. But the idea of no thing means you are not an idol to yourself. Okay, okay. Okay? You get some of it later on. Let's just keep going. Though it is true that there is no emptiness forced upon us by God, in Christ we see a willing self-emptying. It is this willing outpouring that forms the basis of authentic spirituality and Christian creativity. When we come to grasp the fact that all is of God, as the psalmist said, then we come to the state of outflowing an emptiness that does not have us empty, a self-emptying in which we remain full and content with Christ as the archetypal self dwelling in the center of our being. That's a whole lot of message. Okay? See, this is... <laughs> Do you remember... Oh, God. You know, maybe I should just leave that stuff and talk to you about something else. But this, to me... Anyway, it's going to be a book, so you might as well get ready. I doubt very much if the state of being poor in spirit can be equated with humility as in the sense of humiliation. I'm not asking you to think of yourself as useless or pathetic, but rather of being an ever-flowing fountain which is forever emptying itself into vast arrays of worlds. <laughs> Can I take this out? So, so I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a preacher, as you already know. I'm not a preacher that tells people how awful they are. I'm not trying to tell you that you need to be completely broke without two pennies to rub together. I'm not telling you you need to look at yourself as useless, as a sinner that God doesn't want to have anything to do with. I don't believe in that stuff. I believe you're a sinner, but I believe that God has paid enough price to tell me what your value is. What I'm asking you is to learn how to practice being who God says you are. <laughs> Amen? Alright, that's... Let me say that to you again so that, so that you understand what I'm saying. I'm asking you to come to the place of understanding that you are an ever-flowing fountain which is forever emptying itself into vast arrays of worlds. Take that home with you. That this is what you are. <laughs> that the reason God pours himself into you is not to make you a dead sea. That when God pours himself in you, then he brings all his springs into you. Remember that passage, all my springs are in you. So God then brings all of his springs into you. Then you become a fountain that shoots out life to worlds and worlds and worlds. Not just the environment where you find yourself. Woo! It's too much to talk, but I'm going to stop soon. Don't worry. I might stop about five times. 
Oh my goodness. In this sense then, the Christian assumes that there is a content to the human being. We are not Buddhists. We don't believe that there is no content in human being. We rather believe that because there's a content, then it takes discipline to release the content so that it can open up for more of God in us. We are not emptying ourselves in order to remain empty. (laughs) We are emptying ourselves in order to be full, in order to empty ourselves more. Somebody say amen. Amen. Mm. So let me say it in 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 a preaching way, okay? One who is a believer has no independent self, no independent wealth, no independent health. Are you with me? No independent righteousness or no righteousness, no wealth, no self, no health, no position without God as the ground of their being. Am I in the house? Jesus puts it this way. Without me, you can do nothing. This is in Christian. There, there is in Christianity. Here's the, here's the difference. There is in Christianity, or with me. You remember, Jesus is God with us. So there is a with me. In other words, there is someone who comes to be with us and in us. We don't operate in nihilism or in nihilistic perspective that says there's nothing here. All is completely, absolutely nothing. Uh, you can't, there's nothing. Real. That's not, we don't believe that. We don't take that all the way to the Godhead. Now, that does not mean we think this world is what it is, what it's supposed to be. We don't believe that the way the world is now and the way it's framed is really the way it's supposed to be. So we now read in the text where it says, the world is passing away. So in other words, the world in which we live and the framework in which we have is not real. The real is coming. The real is behind it. Oh, no, no, no. Mm. In Christianity, there is a God content, an image, a likeness with which man must become acquainted. Okay. If, if I may be philosophical for a second, there is an, there is in what they call in German, a Vestanis. A standing within. There is a God standing and sitting within. It is knowledge of this content and its awesome nature that makes self-emptying powerful. In fact, a very powerful phenomenon. Do you know why self-emptying is so powerful? It's because you know that God lives in you. And the temptation, when God lives in you, is not to want him to do anything outside of you. I'll try it again. I will say this, please, don't take it too seriously, throw it away if you really want to. I see from how Jesus became a human that... The great temptation of Jesus was not really what he had to go through on earth. It was him knowing he was God in heaven. And bringing God to earth 
in order to pour God completely out. The self-emptying of Christ wasn't the fact that he just forgot he was God. It was the fact that in order to bring us into divinity, he had to pour out his divinity. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ with the fullness of God walking on the face of the earth and saying, you know, I'm here now. Everybody can just look at me and realize that I am God. But instead, every moment of being in this earth, he constantly poured. In fact, his being, the being of God out. And at the cross, he did the same thing. He poured God out. Okay. That was what the cross was. The cross was Jesus pouring God out and pouring his divinity out into the world. Say amen again. Thank you. I'm almost done. So there are several things involved in the self-emptying of which we speak. Let me call it, there is something in this, I want to coin a term, you can write it down and use it, if maybe you think it's new age, but it's not. There is a cosmic generosity in the act of self-emptying. So the believer that empties himself, not only impacts creation, but creates worlds. Releases the captive. Breaks the chains of others. This is really why most people are still in captivity. They come to church over and over again. Because most people in church, we, me included, our main purpose is constantly asking God to fill us, but we're not asking where do I pour it out. Let me be Say now So the key then Jesus is saying is Empty yourself For if the cup is full It cannot receive any new content Everything else you pour in it When it's full is waste It's a lot of wastage In worship Just because you were at work getting tired doesn't mean you are empty. <laughs> Physical tiredness is not emptying something. Are you with me? Real emptying is a spiritual activity where all that God has been pouring in you since you started in Sunday school, Monday school, whatever it is. That you're still carrying it inside of you. You have never really taken it and poured it out into the world. And you, most of us think that God's job is to treat us like little birds in a nest. <laughs> no! And some of us, God could be using at a level that we don't even have an idea. But instead of actually pouring out... We actually have locked it up. And we lock it up and we keep saying, I want more of God, I want more of God, I want more of God. And God's saying, well, there's no space. 
That's the thing. Oof. Am I okay? All right. Mm. To create a world, God created an empty space. An empty space where God was absent yet present. <laughs> you can go study that some point of time. Okay. What is what philosophers call an absence of presence. So it, it, it's an emptying of fullness. <laughs> the person that is really full is the one that's constantly emptying themselves. Don't you ever wonder where mothers get their strength from? I used to wonder where my mom got the strength. Because I was, I was, I could climb trees, jump off trees, you know, jump fences, do stuff. Even, you know, and the things I did even as a preaching kid was not fun. was not funny. If my kids did it now, like, can't do that. <laughs> yes, I want to pray and I will, and I will walk myself alone into the forest. My parents will be wondering where I am. The things I was doing, and yet my mom had strength. I mean, I used to think my mom never got tired as a kid. You know? So my, my point, where does she get it from? From an outpouring love. Okay. To form a child, the woman's womb was created. A place that seems empty, but beckons fullness. An empty place as a place of possibility. Thus, before Christ could take on human nature, he had to empty himself of his divine self-consciousness that could serve as a hindrance. To his capacity to pour out to humanity. Oh my God. In fact, he put away his reputation. <laughs> his deity. So the continual emptying of the self is what God calls us for. Is the key for unlocking our infinite possibility. If we don't learn how to empty ourselves, the infinity in us remains locked up. There are ways in which we do this most of the time, but the problem is we just do it towards God. Are you getting my point? We do empty ourselves, but we empty ourselves to the same pond from where we came from. It strengthens us, but it doesn't change anything around us. Okay. So, we know all the other stuff, okay? Most of the stuff that Jesus talks about, when you look at the Beatitude, I want to use a term that will sound like it's Eastern. Don't trigger. Okay? Don't trigger. But it's important, it's a word that needs to be used. Okay? Everything Jesus talks about is about detaching yourself from what you consider to be reality. 
You know the word detachment? We don't like. Because we think it's an Eastern word. So we've created a system where we attach ourselves to our identity. We attach ourselves to our money. We attach ourselves to our church. We attach ourselves to our religion. We attach ourselves to our ethnic background. We attach ourselves to our thought system. We attach ourselves to everything. And we even turn God into an idol. So everything Jesus is saying here is, I want you to learn how not to attach yourself even to the most valuable thing you think is important. I'm a Jew. Do you know we have no image of God? The reason the rabbis argue is because of the human tendency to attach itself to an idol and to make it look like it's the actual thing. You know, human being is an idol factory. Okay, let me try it again. Human being, every human being is an idol factory. Everything we thought we turn into an idol. If God made us beautiful, it becomes an idol. If God made us ugly, it becomes an idol. See, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying one side. If God makes us short like me, it becomes an idol. Because I talk about short all the time. And I have to watch myself. You know? It, it sounds funny, but there are certain things that we have this tendency to idolize everything. Let me use a guy named Heidegger. He calls it thingification. That is everything we thought we turn into a thing. <laughs> so, but let's talk about this now. So, we know God wants us to empty. So, but Jesus says, blessed are the poor, poor in spirit. There are two types of poverty that I know of. Jesus said, poor in spirit. He didn't say poor of spirit. You get the point? He said poor in, not poor of. They are two different things. So some people consider being having a poor spirit. <laughs> As being a gift. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus did not tell you to be poor of spirit. So you should be poor in spirit. So it's a stance you take in the spiritual realm. It's not an emptying of yourself in so much so that you don't do things spiritually. It's you operating from the dimension of spirit without attachment. Okay, almost done. Even in common language, we say that a prideful person is full of themselves. Right? This poverty of spirit is clearly seen in one of the seven churches where Jesus, this is what Jesus says about the church in Revelation. He says this, Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and da 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 he didn't say that, 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 that but I did. <laughs> so what, <laughs> what has happened now is that the church and believers have placed what is called the eye in the center of where God ought to be. And made material possession the measure of spirituality. 
It says, I have need of nothing, which speaks to self-enclosure and the inability to have an outpouring love towards others. It knows nothing besides itself and thus feels threatened by every passing wind. You cannot say something without them taking it personally. It knows not its true inner nature. It is possessed by a lack of self-knowledge. Poverty of spirit is clearly seen where the eye is the false king and sets itself up for rebellion over the God that should sit in the center of the throne of the heart of the individual. You know, when Paul talks about the works of the flesh, or the, the works of the flesh, there are signs of this kind of poverty, poverty of spirit, because they are all inward turning. In all the works of the flesh lifted by Paul, the person is seeking to fill the void that is making a distinction between kenosis and void. The former is a deliberate outpouring which engenders life, while the latter is an unproductive, unrelenting chaos that produces death. Oh, I'm giving you a lecture today like I'm in a university context. Smile. I'm almost done. The first passage of the scriptures call it Bohutohu. Remember? Genesis. Bohutohu. That means the chaos, but it's not really good bohutohu, because the real bohutohu is something that is in a state of not this, not that, that can be made into something good. It's not the bohutohu of chaos, it's the bohutohu of possibility. But in this case, when a person is full of themselves, they create the bohutohu of chaos, which results in death. So they are quarreling with everybody around them because they are full of themselves. Don't stone me yet. Okay? So that kind of poverty is unproductive. Okay? And it fills itself with contrived activities, religious activities, social activities, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that activity, which in the long run leaves the person depleted and so they have to fill themselves with more of themselves while they still remain unsatisfied and unfulfilled. So let's, let's go. So emptying the self is where the path to Christian spirituality and Christ-centered enlightenment and growth begins. When we are empty, we approach another person or situation with what is called a Christ-made design or template. We don't approach people from the perspective of what we presume. We approach people from the perspective of a Christ-made template. You know? And a Christic genetic presupposition with which all must be measured. That is, we don't measure people from any other perspective except the perspective of Christ. Okay? We must approach the temporal and the eternal with this idea of nothingness, for it is out of nothing that God created the world. Here is the, in- here is the incarnation principle. God becomes man. Being found as man, he empties himself. But in order to empty himself as man, he had to empty himself as God. 
Not even God, not even God can avoid the principle of kenosis. Because if God avoids the principle of self-emptying, the world will not exist. Come on, make yourself useful. Give Jesus a clap offering. So when, 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 we, when we look at our father and we see what our father is doing, okay, he, how he's constantly pouring himself into the world, even, even into the list of stuff. And I know you, so, girls, I know you don't like worms or the other stuff, but God poured himself out so they can also have a space to move. <laughs> yeah, those insects. I think uh, Josiah will like this right now. We must overcome that false self-will. That self that says, I will not allow anything to be arranged or function independent of my eye. And if it doesn't suit my eye, then I get offended. When we are full of the eye, the eye must accept, absorb, annihilate, complain, critic. Argue with a partial, from a partial perspective, whatever it comes into contact with. The problem with this stuff, the reason Jesus is that when you, when you don't operate in this self-emptying, you create a false self that judges everything from a partial perspective. Because it is in your outpouring into the world that your whole being becomes sensitized to creation as a whole. Are you getting it? Your whole being, which is what God wants. Why? Because creation is groaning. For the manifestation of the sons of God. Let me say it in a different way. Creation is groaning for the outpouring of the sons of God. (laughs) My God, thank you, Father. When we are full of God... And we allow that kind of flow. We enrich, we gladden, we fulfill, we advance. The whole world towards God's or God intended destiny. The antidote for some of the stuff we're talking about, this arrogation of the self... Is self-emptying. There's no other answer to pride than self-emptying. <laughs> you can bind the spirit of pride. You can cast out the spirit of pride. The more you try it, the more prideful you become. You can cast it out. If a person is prideful, you can't cast it out. You can't pray it away. The person must learn how to empty themselves in order for the pride to go away with the emptying. (laughs) 
Those who can master emptiness determine the course of universal events. They don't have to force themselves on a context. Because the very self-emptying principle infuses the universe with possibility. This is what believers are supposed to do. My God. Because they themselves are open to eternal possibilities and open the world to eternal possibilities. The poor in spirit, this poor in spirit means that one abides in the state of owning nothing. Don't trigger, it's not material now. Of owning nothing, not owning. Owning is the process of conforming all that we meet to our afflicting need and self-made images. In this state, we free ourselves to be open to the kingdom of heaven. If we are able to do the self-emptying. We spend all of our lives trying so hard to maintain what we call the self. This self is so elusive that when we fall into God, we come to the realization that without God, what we call self is nothing but a question mark, a void, a nothingness, a passing fashion. The chaotic life is a selfless life. By this emptying out into selflessness, we do not mean that we are not here as conscious entities and that God did not create us in God's image. It is a posture, an attitude of unconditional surrender to which God engenders a blessedness. This is the letting go of our fabricated ego. Our ego is in reality the imposition of the elusive nature of the temporal, the imposition of chance and falsity on the divine image which is within us. In knowledge, we must become as though we know nothing. In wisdom, we must become as foolish. In power, we must become as powerless. Understanding the fleeting nature of all which we hold dear, we must be converted and be like a child, a baby, Nippion, wholly dependent on God, until we cease to be what we so often call ourselves, which in most cases is not our true self, is something that has been made by society, by culture, by ethnicity, by psychological need. I'm almost done. Am I okay at time? All right. Okay. All right. This is the letting go. Mm. That God talks about. Do you know that what I'm talking about right now is so practical it even hurts? <laughs> because letting this stuff emptying is where you learn how to forgive people. Really? This self-emptying is where your bitterness is washed out. Because sometimes the I that is offended is not the real you. (laughs) It's something that's been given to you by society. 
by this, you know, anyway. There's a, there's a, a Russian mystic that talks a lot about all the selves that we create. Remember last time I was here, I said that, I said something, I said, you know, there are eyes that you have created inside of you that you don't know about who are doing things in your name. <laughs> and you need to cast them out. You need to crucify them and remove them because they are doing things in your name that you will not normally do. But they are selves and eyes that have been created. They are fabricated. They are not real. Do you know that most people... Let me, ask, let me say it this way. Why is it that if a man is a thief... And you call him a thief. He says, I'm not a thief. He knows he stole. But he's arguing with you he's not a thief. What is he really trying to tell you? You say he's a liar. But he's trying to tell you that's not the real me. (laughs) He doesn't know what to say to you because he's compelled to do what he does not want to do. You do the same thing. That wasn't really me. I'm so sorry, my brother. It wasn't me. Something came over me. Honey, I'm so sorry. I don't know what came over me. It's the eye that you fabricated, that you kept in the corner, that always taking place whenever you need defense, the eye will jump in. So you got about ten of them in you. It just, they just need a specific trigger for them to show up. And they will do things in your name that you don't want them to do. All right. Okay. You don't have to. Just check yourself. You'll see. <laughs> so I'm. <laughs> Woo. So much of what we experience in the world ends up creating a false self, a self in opposition to God, the world, and others. But this, this I, can I call it what it really is? This demonic facade must cease to exist so that the greater thou which is God himself may be all in all in us we must come to the place where Paul came to where he had to accept that I no longer live but Christ the original divine self the unencumbered divinity That which is not tied by human experience or temporality. The God who is above all, outside of all, yet controls all. Lives in me. And that whatever life that I live now, I must live that life, not by the I that I used to be, but by the Christ who's self-emptying. Produces himself or reproduces himself in me. Must live by the self-emptying faith into the Son of God. Who in his outgoing effulgence of humanity coming from God. Who empties his plenitude daily to make a way for us in himself and the world. Showed me what it means to be like God. God. 
So I said, there are so many things with which we fill ourselves. These things we often mistakenly equate with who we are. In so doing, we make ourselves unfit for the entrance of the new being. And we are not able to carry the new age, aeon. Kainos aeon, it's in scripture. Okay? New age. I don't know why we take our words and give it over to people. It's called kainos aeon in the Greek. It's a new age. Kainos ectis or ecten, new creation. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's, it's in Bible. Somebody's taking it and is using all kinds of stuff, and now we say you can have the word. You know, I'm I'm a Christian who believes in fighting for words. Say words don't matter; they matter. I fight for words. I refuse to let people take words that belong to all of us and make it a personal property. We all, we fill ourselves with laws, with rules, with regulations, with ideologies, with forms of idols that we really don't even like. Let's talk about, for example, the law. And, I'm, and I'll be ready. Just let me know when it's time for me to stop, okay? Uh, look at what Paul says about the law. The law is, one of, the law is a good thing, right? Paul said it's a good thing. The law is a good thing. Yet here, but, but Paul says that the law will kill you. Right? So he says, For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. Remember one, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live, I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself, emptied himself towards me. The law is not evil. In fact, it is good. At, the very, at its very core, but when we come to it, watch this now, when we come to the law with, with a full self, which assumes that we can keep it, rather than filling us with God, it fills us with self-righteousness. When the law, rather than the giver of the law, fills us, we end up creating more and more rules and taboos and structures which bind and entangle us and make us mad and bitter. We suffocate ourselves. It is the fact that we come to the law with the assumption that we can perform it by ourselves that overloads and crashes us. This endeavor to fill us with the not God, the law stares us in the face and says, Hey, you, you cannot keep me. (laughs) You may fill yourself with me, but I'm not the one you need to fill yourself with. You will over exert yourself unto death if you focus, if your focus is to use me as a way to God. If you fill yourself with me, you shall be left empty and frustrated for you cannot keep me. All you are going to do is create false self around yourself and what you're keeping is not me. You're trying to keep stuff you've created for yourself. So, the goal is for you to be filled with God. It is, it is interesting, let me say this, it's interesting that when we, when we use phrases like keep, obey, break, that we use phrases such as keep, obey, break, when we speak of the law, that we use words like show, give, or just simply love when we talk about love. 
Verbs of fulfillment for others when it comes to love. It is when we die to or empty ourselves of the legalism of the law that we really begin to love God. The law itself can be another God, another God filling us. Even so, our worship can also be another God trying to fill us. Our religious activities can be another God trying to fill us. Our family can be another God trying to fill us. Our work can be another God trying to fill us. Our feelings can be another God trying to fill us. Our culture can be another God trying to fill us. We, in the incarnation, when Jesus became man, we see God refusing to be an idol to himself. That God even refuses to be an idol to himself. So God self-empties. <laughs> That's just part of what I was telling you. So, who? Mm. We know that in order to be able to empty ourselves, there has to be a level of self-denial. Right? See, it implies that. Let me just summarize this and then we can go home because it's too much. Yes. The thing about what I just talked about is, it may sound like I'm telling you, be afraid. But actually, self-emptying produces fearlessness. Because when you self-empty, you have nothing to be afraid of. You don't have a self to protect. You don't have a reputation to protect. You don't have... You don't have possessions. Isn't it amazing that we use the word possess for things we own? So in other words, we become a demon possessing the things we own. That we are actually inside of it. I was asked, is that what the word we use when, when somebody is demonized? What do we say? The person is possessed. And we use possession for the things we own. So we are admitting that somehow we are transferring ourselves into things. This thing, this key, what it does is it creates a sense of fearlessness. You have no reputation to overhold, therefore you can stand anywhere and speak what God tells you to speak. Right? You have no I, that you're afraid is going to die because you're no longer afraid of death. If you empty yourself, death becomes meaningless. Because you're operating from a different place. When you empty yourself, it's not that you forget your divinity. In fact, self-emptying is the affirmation of your divinity. You're emptying yourself because you know you shall never be empty. 
You're emptying yourself because you know you shall never die. You're emptying yourself because you know you shall never lack. You're emptying yourself into the cosmos because you know that you carry what it takes to sustain the universe in which you are. Somebody say amen. Amen. And when you come to this nothingness, it means really there's no thing separating you and God. There's no shadow between you and the Father. You know, this, because, because you, are, you are just continuing the divine process of pouring out God into creation. You, 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 when you walk, when you operate in this, you don't, you no longer operate in limitation. In fact, anything that limits you actually expands you. You know, you, you know, you're not, you're not held back. The thing for me is, 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 because I look at Jesus. If Jesus is the, the real paradigm for self-emptying, then let me get back to him. He gave his life, but he took it back up. He, 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 he emptied himself unto death, but he resurrected because of that self-emptying. He emptied himself and made himself on no reputation, but he got a new reputation from the Father. In fact, the Bible says, because he did that, God gave him a name above all names, so that, that the name of Jesus... Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I get a witness in the house? Don't let somebody look down on you when you pour out yourself. Just stand aside and laugh. Because you realize that in outpouring, you are creating worlds. In outpouring, you are tuning the universe towards its destiny. In outpouring, you are changing the context of your existence. In outpouring, you are making way for increase. Can I get a witness? Stand up on your feet. Let's go home. <laughs> Woo! Can I have the musicians come up for a second? Come on, guys. Woo! Come on, let's give Jesus another clap offering. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. (laughs) They are carriers of the fullness of the kingdom. When you self-empty, yeah, it's true, people are going to try to step all over you. But they don't realize that what they're doing is actually fertilizing you for taking over the world. Ah, Father, give me something, guys. Hallelujah. That's it.
Fill the whole room with it. Hallelujah. Just begin to speak in the Spirit. Gently. I want you to fill the whole room. Play it loud. Come on, come on, come on. The sound is not there yet. I need it. I need the synthesizer up, please. Way up. Lord That's it Up That's it. Glory and the little of the Bandaliana, Bandaliana Rush. Just enter in with us. Enter in. Uh, 
Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Come. Come on, Father, move angels and the fun Gabriel Miguel Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit Adonia Lohai Come on, come on, come on Adonia Lohai We worship you Lord Adonia Lohai That's it, that's it Oh Thank you Father Come on, let's just let's just keep worshiping. The Spirit of the Lord is present. Somebody's gonna get healed. Somebody's gonna get healed. You are the one that God wants to use to change the world. It's you. Are you ready? It's you God's going to use. Come on, let's enter in together. Behold, he says, I have put my word in your mouth to implant heaven and to establish the earth. You are my servant. Fear not. It is you that I've chosen to use. It is you that I've chosen to display my glory with. You are the one that I've chosen and my glory shall be displayed in you. You are the one that I've valued and my spirit shall flow through you. Come on, it's you, nobody else. Don't look at your neighbor, it's you. You are the one. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Okay, your sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Your sins have been dealt with through the blood of Jesus. Now take up your position. Become a channel of God's grace, God's power, God's might, God's overflowing mercy. Let's worship. Let's 
Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the outpouring of who you are into us. Now grant us the grace to pour out your fullness into the world. Lord, thank you. For the outpouring of your being that brings wholeness to us. Now grant us the grace to pour out the fullness of your being for the wholeness of our world. Have your way, Father. Lord, your fullness in Jesus Christ brings wholeness, healing, completion. Now, may it flow through us, that as it flows through us, our own physical bodies will be healed, and the healing will be brought to the world. Lord, now, whatever body is sick in this place, I now speak healing by that inflow and outflow of the person of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are healed. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are healed. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are healed. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are healed. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are made whole. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are made whole. In the name of Jesus Christ, our nation is healed. In the name of Jesus Christ, the land is healed. In the name of Jesus Christ, the land is made whole. In the name of Jesus Christ, the land is made whole. In the name of Jesus Christ, the church is healed. In the name of Jesus Christ, the church is made whole. In the name of Jesus Christ, the church is one new man. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Hey! Yes. Father, thank you for what you're going to do in Pueblo. It doesn't look like it now, but I know that your lightnings are striking the land. I know it's being fertilized. I know great oaks are rising. I know great discoveries are coming to this land. Father, it may look like it's not, but I know what you've said. This land will see your glory. This land will see an increase economically. This land will see healing. Father, we thank you. A land surrounded by hills shall become an oasis. For the manifestation of kingdom wealth. Thank you, Father. In the place where it is said, 
they shall be locked up. There it shall also be said, freedom and openness, the breaking of the chain. In the place where it has been said, farming and hunger, there it shall be said, increase and satisfaction. Thank you, Father. As it is written, where it was said, you are not my people, even there it shall be said, you are the sons of the living God. Amen.